This episode is rated R18 plus for high impact sex scenes. Listener discretion is advised. River of Night's Dreaming, Part 1 Half of sex is the dreaming. Sasha Gray, The Juliet Society. Mukti, aged 21, watched the river at dusk. It was one of the few times in the day when she was free to do what she wanted to. Free to be alone. She glanced back at the trees that lined the riverbank. Did she really have privacy? Was her mother Shanti lurking in the shadows, monitoring her still form as she gazed at the currents? She shook her head, upset that she was wasting her precious few minutes worrying about her plight. She returned her attention to the waterway, Be present, she willed her mind. Where did these raging waters travel to? What ocean did they empty their rage into? She wondered. The water deformed her five feet five inch body. Her high cheekbones, full lips, regal nose, long wavy hair and graceful neck crumpled into an abominable shape that frightened her. On the surface of the water, She was a monster with demonic, almond-shaped eyes. Windows into some great darkness she had wrestled with for a long time. The word depression wasn't used at home. Depression was for weak people, according to her stoic parents. Their dearest Mukti could never be burdened with such a shameful condition. There was a ruckus on the opposite river bank, a gang of youngsters with the handsome Sarthak at its head. She turned her face away in shame and walked up the bank to sit underneath a tree that hid her from the boys. The embarrassment of what had happened many years ago in grade 12 tore at her. She had given Sarthak a love poem on an evening very much like this one, to express her feelings for him. When Sarthik came to her society's gate to give her his response, her parents, who had found out about the rendezvous, intervened. Her father, Renjan, slapped Sarthik across his face, while her mother unleashed a show of hysterics that would have made a Sas Mahu serial aficionado proud. It was like she was possessed by a banshee. All these horny boys are trying to corrupt my girl, 
she screeched at poor Sarthag. She is destined to be the wife of a great officer or a scientist. I will not let loafers like you sully my daughter's name, her father had said. The watchman and some of the colony residents had been drawn to the commotion. They watched on with concern but did not dare intervene. The ones that did were promptly shouted down by Mukti's parents. Of course you will feel sorry for these youngsters. Your useless child barely crosses 80% in exams because you don't have high expectations like we do. We are upset because we care about our daughter more than others do. We know what's best for her. You are sympathizing now, but tomorrow you will spit on them when they end up living like losers, Mukti's father lectured. One of the girls in the crowd, Rani, who had it in for Mukti since grade 11, sniggered at the embarrassing display of parental aggression. She was her classmate. Not surprisingly, the news reached the school and the backbenchers in her class drew a mural in the girls' bathroom, which showed Mukti and Sarthag in a warm embrace on their first night. Mukti's parents looked on disapprovingly at the intertwined figures lying on a mattress of flowers. Underneath the mural, written in grungy typography, were the words, Reason why Mukti will stay a virgin forever. Presently, Mukti chaffed at the memory. Even though Sarthag had refused to utter a word to her since that day, she still loved him. She bit into her left hand to cope with the pangs of longing that racked her body. No one dared to look at her anymore. No one wanted a disgraceful dressing down from her psycho parents. Her sordid history resulted in hushed speculations and gossip. Colourful tales about a chastity belt infused with black magic that her parents had crafted for her to keep the boys away and which in turn gave her extraordinary powers of concentration which helped her ace every exam she took. One time, she overheard two girls speculate on how her parents fed her medication to give her an edge over other students. The former was a lie, the latter was true. Mukti jumped to her feet, wiped off the leaves that clung to her bottom and made a beeline for the society gates. Her time was up, her twenty minutes of freedom. She didn't even have to look at her watch anymore to know that her evening of servitude was about to begin anew. In the distance, she heard the whoops of delight from the gang of boys. She clearly identified Sarthak's melodic laughter amongst the cacophony. It sent a wave of pain crashing through her body.
she also tuned into the parting sounds of the river. Its constant cesarus, a mocking reminder of how much she had achieved and how little it mattered to her happiness. Finally, she thought she heard a moan that came from the bottom of that incensed water body. In the beginning, she loved the amphetamines her parents fed her to keep her running like a well-oiled machine. The concentration and confidence those things gave you was awesome. It was like you were a sun powering an entire system of planets inferior to you, beholden to you. You determined their destiny with your flares of hectic solar activity. You were the great devourer in an ocean where everything bowed to you and you fed on everything from the tiniest shrimps to the leviathans of the depths. You were the mother of lightning chains cracking trees in half, lighting up metal poles and charring meat into blackened husks. That the medically supervised administration of these drugs started from when she started 10th grade would not turn heads these days because everyone was doing it. But back in the day when she was placed on the regimen, people wouldn't have heard of things like Adderall and Ritalin. She didn't need rest breaks, sleep or holidays. She was a god machine designed to cram knowledge and vomit it on paper, creating perfect rows of sentences and equations. But by the time she had crossed 18 years of age, her body was starting to show the side effects of long-term drug abuse. Loss of appetite, weight loss, dry mouth, unexplained stomach pain, nausea, dizziness, headache, diarrhea, fever, nervousness, and worst of all, the sleepless nights spent looking at her ceiling. She knew every little crack and bump on its white surface. It had messed up her periods, and strange patches of acne appeared on her chest and neck regularly, turning her into a recluse. After three years of trying to counteract the effects with herbal remedies and failing, her parents decided to approach an interstate doctor who was apparently medical advisor to all the toppers in the city. Management exam season was here, and this was the big one. Her parents had been preparing her for this occasion for two decades. This was going to be the culmination of all the sacrifices they had made for their darling angel. Their dearest daughter getting into a top B school. Her photo in all major newspapers and TV bulletins. Radio interviews with renowned RJs screaming her name at the top of their lungs. YouTube clips of her parents feeding her sweets as a parade of neighbors congratulated her. They were not going to mess this up. Her father flew to the neighboring state and had just returned with a packet that he held up like it was Somarasa from Swargaloka. The doctor says this is the cleanest drug he has seen in years. That Ravi Khanna's son, Rahul, who was a, a civil service topper, he apparently failed twice before this baby gave him the kick he needed. 
her father spoke excitedly. Mukti examined the showcase in the living room as her father droned on about the efficacy of the product. Trophies, medals and framed newspaper clippings chronicling her academic achievements like billboards advertising the legacy of a wasted life. Three times the price of the previous drug, her father said dramatically. Her mother's shocked expression was almost comical. You think we can go to London on a holiday after the exams? Mukti asked. Her father gave her a look of disbelief. After the results, Beatty, her mother corrected her. After you get into a stellar B school with top ranks. She will, she will, her father said encouragingly. Her father had come from a poor background. He sold bananas at the railway station while putting himself through college to become a successful accountant. Her mother was a math genius who was not allowed to pursue further studies or work after marriage, even though she was the state topper in that subject. They had decided to have one child so they could pour all their energy and finances into giving her the best education and care. Giving her the best so she could be the best representation of them. And Mukti had obliged and performed like an A-level athlete. There goes Mukti, Ranjan and Shanti's daughter. You must be just like her, other parents said to their school and college-aged children. Mukti knew she should be grateful for all the things her parents did for her and for the great dreams they had for her. But the cost, the lack of freedom of body and mind, had worn her down like a rock face reduced to a fraction of its former self by the elements. She felt like parts of her were missing, like she was a fragmented sculpture free-falling into a dark abyss. Imagine if the framed artifacts on the cabinet featured snaps from school excursions and international trips. What if they portrayed her playing the violin or working a pottery wheel? Imagine. Imagine if Sarthik's poem, in response to hers, had found a place on these walls. Instead, it was torn to bits and swept away the next day to be dumped in the back of a corporation tractor filled with stinking garbage. A powerful bout of grief threatened to overwhelm her. Mukti opened the plain white package containing the stimulant and removed a tablet from its housing. She downed it with a glass of water. She knew it, her servitude would never end. It was not going to end with her ascension to a top B-school. Her parents would have something else planned for her next. It would never be over, this quest for greatness. Their greatness, not hers. She might end up going on a London holiday. But her parents would use that as a leverage to make her dance like a monkey at the end of a leash as the Damaru drummed a cross beat on and on into the night. They would hold her hostage for their other aspirations, including her ascent to commit to an arranged marriage. She would be sold off to some rich NRI doctor in the USFA, her academic pedigree making her a prize cow with the perfect amount of fat marbling her flesh.
The river roared in her ears as the tablet traveled down her throat and into her innards. A thousand fireworks exploded in her mind. Everything she was promised about the mysterious and potent medication proved to be true. No physical or mental side effects. No sharp mysterious pains to ruin her day. No ugly pimples to deal with. It sharpened her senses and gave her mental stamina for days. If she could last six hours straight on multiple doses of her previous pills... A single miracle tablet transformed an eight-hour marathon session into a walk in the park. She woke up at five, practiced yoga, had her breakfast, then studied till two o'clock, eating her lunch on the go. Then she watched TV for an hour, followed by a 20-minute stroll along the river before having dinner. Then... It was a straight run till midnight, packing her brain with theorems, working out problems, and smashing practice papers from previous years. Yeah, so truly a miracle drug. Much better than the shit she was being fed before. And she slept so well, even though she dreamed all through it. The dream was always the same. She was inside a cathedral of flesh. Its bulbous inverted dome towered above her as she walked on a membranous floor of living matter, like the flesh underneath a human tongue. The walls of the sanctified building were made of meat, elastic and muscular. It was wet with mucilage viscous ropes of which hung from the heights like chandeliers. An organic hum added to the holy ambience of the place, a thrumming symphony of many mouths in prayer. There were no visible signs of the worshippers who sang those paeans or a deity that invoked such devotion. When she woke up in the morning, she was refreshed, and there was a patch of wetness between her legs, serving as a reminder of the power of the experience. She longed to be back there every night, and the visions never disappointed. The dream was the same dream, until it wasn't. It was a Sunday night when a storm system had sent cracking thunders and a lashing of torrential rain squalling through the city. 
the river was swollen and threatening to drown the banks after 48 hours of non-stop showers. Mukti was satisfied with her day's work as she went to sleep. She had made significant progress and was well ahead of the curve just a few weeks away from the exam. No sooner had her eyes closed than she found herself in the cathedral of beatified flesh. She was thrust back into mostly familiar settings, but the far end of the sacred sanctuary featured a new area of worship. An altar devoted to a brawny red flower bud, ten feet tall and equally wide. It swayed gently, as if some ethereal breeze snaking through the sinewy pillars of this great edifice was caressing it on its way out. Underneath the bud knelt a group of women in flesh-red robes, their heads hidden by hoods. Their hands were joined in prayer as they uttered a communal chant made not of words but of exhalations. The sound nourished Mukti's soul. The floral bud that was the deity looked on from the heights as the women continued the breathwork, attempting to find unity and connection with the sisterhood by tethering their minds to each other. Breath became the bridge between their minds. Welcome, visitor. A voice came from the right, startling Mukti. She snapped to her right to find a man in a brown robe standing beside her, his head completely covered by a hood. A dark shadow masked his face. He was tall, broad-shouldered and big-chested. The robe had failed to hide the expanse of his physique. She stepped away from him, nearly bumping into the squirmy walls. A thick layer of mucus rubbed off on her skin and clothes where they made contact. It was only then that Mukti noticed that she too was wearing the red robes of the worshipful sisterhood. Who are you? she asked in a frightened tone. Firstly, do not be frightened. I am the caretaker of this favoured shrine of the cult of mouths, he said. You have been a regular visitor, but I see that this is the first time you have attended a ritual, he said. That would be correct, Mukti said, regaining her composure. There was something about his voice that made her feel at ease. It comforted her. It aroused certain indescribable sensations in her, like the beginnings of a rainbow that might arc into the pleasure centers of her soul. Welcome. We are so delighted that you are here, he said. I feel like I am intruding. I... Mukti began saying. No, no. In fact, this ritual concerns you in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. This place, the very fact that you can reach here, speaks to how deserving you are to be in these hallowed halls. The man said smoothly. Where is this place? she asked. 
another dimension that you have keyed into, thanks to your magnificence, the caretaker said. But how? Mukti began saying. But the caretaker interrupted her. The ritual has begun. Your questions can wait, he said, raising a brown human hand. The sight of his human hand made her feel even more at ease. What a dream, she muttered. She followed the caretaker on his journey towards the altar. He walked with the steady pace of someone who had presided over this divine enterprise across so many lifetimes. Mukti instinctively halted and let the mysterious man approach the circle of worshippers. She would only join in if she was invited. The priest raised both his hands up in the air like a music conductor and let it hang there for what seemed like forever before drawing symbols in thin air with his elegant fingers. The throng of women assembled underneath the flowerlet undulated and danced rhythmically, following the patterns crafted by the caretaker. Their synchronicity was amazing, given that most of them couldn't see his actions due to their position in the circle. The floret on the altar quivered. It seemed to swell ever so slightly in size. Mukti felt warmth between her legs. Yes, you want to, don't you? She heard the caretaker's voice whispering in her ears even though he was several handspans away. The steamy walls of the great structure rippled and shivered with excitement as the exalted dance continued. Some great curiosity tugged at her fingers and she felt herself running it over her neck and her belly. The women were now moaning in ecstasy as they gyrated in unison, creating waves and contorting into physically impossible sculptural shapes. Mukti's fingers travelled to the flaps of flesh at the centre of her being. They were moist with curiosity now. The caretaker raised his face to the heavens and called out to some unseen power that resided behind the inverted dome. He chanted, he praised, he whirled and begged as the swaying zealots interpreted and echoed his sentiments, offering their bodies up to the thrall of the ever-swelling floral bud on the altar. Mukti's fingers found her engorged clitoris, a mirror image of the object that was being worshipped by the cult of mouths. Her fingers hungrily rubbed at its moist wholesomeness, her eyes closed and her toes curled as she gave into the cascading waves of pleasure crashing over her skin. Gentle, circular rubbing motions sent powerful sensations sizzling through her body. She did not see the army of mouths that emerged from the corpulent walls of the cathedral. These mouths, with the multiplicity of pearl-white teeth that wouldn't fit in a normal human mouth, were not demonic. They were beautiful, sensuous even. 
She did not sense them, these entities that were just mouth and nothing else at all. They looked on hungrily as Mukti attained heightened states of pleasure. The circle of devotees were now screaming joyously as the caretaker declared, Praise be! Praise be! The powerful surge of feminine energy that throbbed in her was a volcano before its imminent eruption. Praise be! Praise be! The caretaker yelled, and the mouths in the walls and the ceiling joined him, so that one man's voice became the exhortation of millions. Mukti came, her legs shivering, her nipples trembling, her body shuddering, as the women in red robes collapsed over each other like spent serpents who had mated for days. The caretaker directed their swooning faces towards their demiurge that was no longer a bud but a plump flower that had blossomed. Our entrance to the new world is certain. Rejoice, rejoice, the mouth said in unison as waves of orgasms drew screams of pleasure from Mukti. The mouths listened and they joined in the music. Thanks for listening to Indian Noir. Click the follow button on your Spotify app or Spotify desktop software. You can also take a sneak peek at how the show is produced and my life and my interests via my social media channels. I am at Indian Noir on Instagram and Twitter.